0: Welcome to the USMLE Step 2 Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rajani Katta, and together with my partner, Dr. Samir Desai, we share clinical cases with targeted teaching points to serve as a QBank podcast. Dr. Desai is the author of The Clinician's Guide to Laboratory Medicine. With over 200,000 copies sold and listed as one of the top medical books of all time by Medical Media Review, This guide to lab test ordering and interpretation is used in programs around the country. For more information, please see us at our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com. Note that this podcast is not affiliated in any way with the National Board of Medical Examiners, and cases and teaching points are not meant to serve as an official study guide or medical guidance. It's 10 p.m. in the emergency room and you're called to see the next patient. This patient tells you right off the bat, he didn't wanna come in, but he was in excruciating pain. He's a 35 year old man with a history of Crohn's disease that was in remission. About two hours ago, he had the sudden onset of intense sharp pain and it's been going on for the last several hours and it's so severe that he had to come to the emergency room. He describes it as involving his right lower back and his flank and it's extended to the right lower abdomen. He's had multiple episodes of nausea and vomiting. As you do the physical exam, you note first that he is writhing in pain on the table. He's constantly shifting his position, but there is no guarding. What do you think is the most likely diagnosis here? Is it appendicitis? Is it nephrolithiasis? Could it be experiencing diverticulitis or cholecystitis? What is the best initial laboratory test to perform here? Would it be a CBC, or a COMP metabolic, or a C-reactive protein, or a urinalysis? Well, the diagnosis for this patient here is nephrolithiasis, AKA kidney stones. He notes several symptoms that are really characteristic of kidney stones. The first is the acute onset of flank pain that may involve the lower back and may also radiate the pattern of radiation depends on the location of the stone. One of the key features is that wherever it is in that system, it causes pain, intense, sharp pain, and it might radiate to the upper abdomen or the lower abdomen. It may also radiate to the genitals. So again, it depends on the location of the stone within the system. You should look for costovertebral tenderness. That's very typical. If the pain is extending to the genitals, although the patient experiences severe pain, the genitals themselves will appear normal. One of the other key clinical features is that this patient was writhing in pain, but he wasn't guarding. So that right there is taking you away from things like appendicitis and diverticulitis in which the patient typically is trying to avoid movement. With kidney stones, however, one of the key features is that they are constantly moving around, trying to shift and find a comfortable position. He did report nausea and vomiting, But one of the things to remember with kidney stones is that nausea and vomiting is extremely common. And it's not actually due to the intensity of the pain. It is felt to be due to the shared origins of the nerves. And so it's reported that up to half of patients with kidney stones will also experience nausea and vomiting. Note also that this patient was a 35-year-old man. That's a typical age range. So it's said to be sort of the working age population. And men are affected more commonly, so two to one. What about the best initial laboratory test? Well, the best initial quick laboratory test would be a urinalysis. And what are you looking for? Well, you're looking for several things, but one of the most important things is hematuria. And it might be clinical, but a lot of times it's microscopic. But you should be able to see that in 85% of cases. You will also have the opportunity to check the urine pH, to check presence of bacteria, uh, urine culture, um, especially if you're suspecting a UTI. Now the other tests will be helpful and useful and are necessary, especially BUN and creatinine to check renal function, levels of calcium and uric acid, and certainly electrolyte status. Now that you're thinking that you're dealing with kidney stones, what would be the best initial imaging test? Would it be an IV pyelogram? Would it be a CT of the abdomen and pelvis without contrast? Or would it be an X-ray? Well, of those options, the most sensitive and reliable test is the non-contrast CT scan. Another benefit of the CT scan is that it will also tell you about potential obstruction because you're very concerned about obstruction of the urinary tract here. An x-ray might be okay in certain situations, but it does have a certain rate of false negatives. An IV pyelogram would take hours to perform and it's not needed for the diagnosis because you can do the CAT scan without contrast. Now, one of the things to remember is that sometimes this is a urologic emergency. When would this constitute an emergency? Well, I want you to think about any clinical signs or symptoms that they mention that might lead you to think of either infection or obstruction. So if you have fever, or evidence of a UTI, especially with symptoms that suggest that you have an obstruction. These patients can develop pyelonephritis and sepsis, and this is a urologic emergency because these patients need urgent decompression. It's also really important to treat this as an emergency if they have a kidney at risk. So for example, if they have one kidney or they have a history of renal failure, or if they have a transplant kidney, any of those with signs of obstruction is considered a urologic emergency. So now you have your clinical features that are really suggestive of kidney stones. You've demonstrated hematuria. So even before you have imaging, what would be the most appropriate step? Would it be IV morphine? Would it be IV ketorolac? Or would it be a urology consult? Well, once you have clinical features that really are suggesting that diagnosis of kidney stones, and certainly once you've demonstrated hematuria, your first goal is to treat the patient. And that means focusing on pain relief, on hydration, and on anti-emetics. So, of these three options you're thinking about pain relief, your best option would be ketorolac. And that's because uh this is an NSAID. It goes by the brand name Toradol. So, if you've spent any time in the emergency room, you've, you've probably already seen Toradol being used frequently. One of the reasons ketorolac is a wonderful option here is because it's an NSAID and it's not addictive. So it's a better option than an opioid because it's probably pain-wise going to be as effective as an opiate without being addictive. So it is a strong NSAID. The other benefit of Ketorolac is that you can give it either IV or IM, so you can really help that patient with immediate pain relief. The urology consult is not going to be as helpful in this moment as helping the patient with their symptoms. You also wanna make sure that the patient is hydrated. And if they are experiencing nausea and vomiting, that means IV hydration, because that's gonna be a key feature in helping, helping treat your current kidney stone as well as preventing recurrence. Let's say that your patient is now experiencing some pain relief, and you've done your imaging studies, and you're demonstrating a four millimeter stone that is of the distal ureter. What would be your next step? The next steps are really based on the size of the stone because it's a four millimeter stone well Anytime you have a less than five millimeter stone, you have about a 90% chance that this stone will pass on its own. So you can send the patient home with analgesia, very important, and making sure that they're able to hydrate well. But let's say instead that you had a stone that was seven millimeters. Well, in this case, would you do shockwave lithotripsy or would you do a ureteroscope or would you do tamsulosin? In this case, you're dealing with a stone that falls in between that 5 and 10 millimeter size. You could use something that's known as medical expulsion therapy. And I think this is fascinating if you look at the pathophysiology of medical expulsion therapy. So of these options, Tamsulosin is one of the key treatments. Tamsulosin goes by the brand name Flomax, which... By the way, I think it's just a great name. But Flomax is a medication that's used in benign prostatic hypertrophy. So it relaxes smooth muscles and helps with urinary flow. Well, Tamsulosin is an alpha-1 adrenergic blocker. And these are the same receptors that are in the ureter. So with Tamsulosin, you block these Receptors, and you end up decreasing some of those ureter spasms. Another option would be nifedipine, which is a calcium channel blocker, and nifedipine works in a similar way in that it relieves the smooth muscle spasms, so helps relieve some of that pain and discomfort without interfering with peristalsis. So those are two key medications to learn from medical expulsion therapy: tamsulosin and nifedipine now what if you're dealing with a larger stone well let's say you have a stone that's between one centimeter and two centimeters this is where you call in your urologists and typically your first line treatment with a stone that's between one and two centimeters would be shock wave lithotripsy. So essentially you send shock waves into the stone and you break it up into tiny fragments and then those tiny fragments are expelled. Another option would be a ureteroscope where you actually pass a scope through the urethra, through the bladder, and into the ureter, and then you can visualize that stone. So those would be your two options. Now, once you get above two centimeters, your urologist is going to need to do a surgical procedure because even if you try to break up those big stones, you might still end up with really big fragments that the patient might not be able to pass. So above two centimeters, you're looking at surgical procedures. So I wanna ask you an additional question why did this patient have a stone in the first place one of the key features here i want to go back to is that this was a patient with crohn's disease so he let's say he had that four millimeter stone and he passed it spontaneously what would you do next well the key here is to figure out why the patient had the stone so that you can prevent recurrence and that would involve two main things. You would analyze the stone to determine what it was made of. And then you would get a 24 hour urine collection to look for certain findings. And in our patient with Crohn's disease, what is the most likely cause of the stone? Well, it's likely related to increased oxalate in the urine. So let's go back to the pathophysiology of kidney stones. There's Three main areas to be aware of here. One of the main causes of kidney stones is decrease urine volume. The second important pathophysiologic feature is an increase in urinary acidity. The third factor to know about is that you might have changes in urinary levels of certain compounds. And Dr. Desai's book, The Clinician's Guide to Laboratory Medicine, has a really nice table of what to look for when you're looking at your 24-hour urine collection. There are some good additional potential board questions related to the pathophysiology of kidney stones. So what I'm going to do is create an episode part two for this to go over that in a little bit more detail because it's going to be important to learn more about calcium oxalate uric acid and citrate along with the risk factors for each of those along with the treatments for each of those depending on which one so Our patient, luckily, is going to do well. He's a 35-year-old man with Crohn's disease. So he has got small bowel malabsorption issues, which puts him at risk for increased levels of oxalate in his urine. So he might actually develop recurrent kidney stones. He presents in a really classic way the sudden, sharp, acute onset of really intense pain that's been going on for two hours so intense that it's bringing him to the emergency room and it is on his blank and it is on his right lower back and it is on his right lower abdomen and that pain it really depends on where the stone is in the system he's also had multiple episodes of nausea and vomiting which is really typical and one of those key clinical features is that he is writhing in pain if you think about your patients with appendicitis let's say they're going to be guarding their abdomen they're not going to be moving around your goal is to make him comfortable so the goal is pain relief and IV hydration and antiemetics. You're heading towards a non-opiate pain relief. And so you're looking for a very strong NSAID that you can administer quickly. So that's your ketorolac, also known as Toradol. And you can give that IV or IM. And we know that one of the key risk factors for kidney stones is dehydration. So you're going to make sure that this patient is hydrated. And then of course, antiemetics for the nausea and vomiting your next steps are based on the size of the stone. If it's less than five millimeters, 90% chance that he's gonna pass out on his own. So it's just a matter of outpatient hydration and pain control. But if it's five to 10 millimeters, this is where you're going to add medical expulsion therapy. And that could be either with Tamsulosin, which is an alpha one adrenergic blocker, or you could use nifedipine, which is a calcium channel blocker. Now let's say you have a larger stone, you're looking at one centimeter or above. This is where you need to get your urologist in to do a procedure either shockwave lithotripsy to blast that into smaller fragments, or a ureteroscope to pass a scope and to locate and treat the stone that way. If it's greater than two centimeters though, you've got to use your surgical procedure. Now, finally, the last part of kidney stones that you need to learn about is some of the pathophysiologic features. So in our patient in the emergency room, you could do a urinalysis and you could look for hematuria. You're going to see that in 85% of patients. And it might be microscopic or it might be macroscopic. You're also going to be able to check a pH and you're going to do, um, be able to check for bacteria and a culture. Because we know that if you have a UTI, that puts you in a different risk category. In terms of imaging, you can actually see these stones on a CT of the abdomen and pelvis without contrast. Now, once you've gotten the patient taken care of and you've got your testing and your imaging, and you're also going to have to do blood testing because you do want to check for renal function and electrolyte status and levels of calcium and uric acid. Now you're thinking about how to prevent recurrence of these stones. And that's where you really need to think about the pathophysiology here. So if you have the stone, you're going to analyze the stone. You're also going to do a 24-hour urine analysis. And you're going to look for several markers. When you think about the pathophysiology, three main factors. A decrease in urine volume, a major factor. An increase in urinary acidity also very important and then finally changes in urinary levels of certain compounds and the four compounds to really learn well would be calcium in the urine increase in calcium in the urine increase in oxalate in the urine increase in uric acid in the urine or decrease in citrate in the urine And for each of these four, it's important to learn, what are the risk factors for developing that? And then what are the treatments that you would use? I can see those as being great board fodder. And then finally, remember struvite stones, magnesium ammonium phosphate, exclusively associated with urease producing bacteria in the setting of a UTI, such as with Proteus or Klebsiella or Pseudomonas. So luckily you're able to give your patient Ketorolac, IV hydration, control of his nausea and vomiting. And then because it's a four millimeter stone, he's going to be able to pass this at home.